Let's get to our main event here today, my conversation with Al Snow. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, folks, my guest today is someone who has had an incredible career, and he, he's, it's still going. He's got all, so much happening, uh, but he is definitely an individual who never gave up despite many years of working in independent organizations, as well as making several appearances in the WWF slash WWE before uh, he became a very well-known superstar. He's been a trainer. Uh, I, and I also, I, I, Al, I have to tell you, I think, I, I think of you like as a professor of professional wrestling because you've done and seen it all, and uh, you really have a great tech, uh, take on this business. Uh, Al Snow, thank you so much for joining us here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Well, thank you very much, Sean. I've been looking forward to uh, coming on and, you know, doing your podcast. And I uh, was very flattered when you asked me to, to do it. And um, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, you, you still have so much going on. And, you know, I saw you, uh, like I said, a, a couple of years ago. I, I saw you recently. I think I saw you in New Orleans as well. But, yeah. man, you look tremendous. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, gush yeah. here. But, I mean, I when I saw you, I was like, Good Lord. I mean, you're in your mid fifties and I don't know, maybe you consider, or do you think that maybe now you're in the best shape you've ever been in or because I know you, uh, you have a whole new approach uh, and I don't know if this had to do with just, uh, you know, realizing a lot of things of how to make your body work or, uh, you know, just finding new methods, but what, how do you, what, how do you account for it? <laughs> well, I think it, um, <clears throat> one is that I, um, I did learn, you know, I finally, started to work out, I think, the correct way for me, um, uh-huh. and then uh, and then also, um, there is something to be muscle maturity, you know, um, you know, you, as you get older, um, I think I was a, I was pretty much a late bloomer to a, to a degree, and, and also because of, you know, I, I just uh, didn't train the correct way, um, um, and uh, for my body type, I guess. Um, now I, I do a lot more functional uh, type of workouts and uh, do a lot more uh, uh, compound movements, and that mm-hmm. really has seemed to make the uh, the big difference. So, you know, and I enjoy it more too. It's a, it's more of a challenge, and um, but boy, I tell you, you got to work out three times as hard to get half as much accomplished. And when you get older, and uh, takes even longer. For you to finally uh, recover, so yeah, you know, I wish it had uh, had figured all this out a, a while ago, back when I was a lot younger. Yeah, well, I, mean, I hear you, but it's it's kind of it really is, you know, people say like a you know, fifties uh, or you know the new thirty, uh, you know, but but it is. Uh, I mean, I think of people. I remember when I was a kid, and I'm almost sixty now, and uh, I remember like thinking of people who are you know sixty, and they looked it, they looked old. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I have always worked out and I'm, uh, really into doing kickboxing now because I love not so much the sparring as much as I, the cardio and the, you know, uh, the, the core uh, workout yeah. you get, but, um, it, it's just amazing to me though. And I, I see some people that, you know, are in their fifties and, and they look better than they ever did their bodies. And I think that, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's we've uh, learned better. Maybe we eat better than we used to. Um, I can't imagine, you know, like when a lot of these wrestlers and they put a lot of stuff in their bodies when they were younger. And I could, I can always tell the difference is that, 
you know, their bodies are, are a wreck and they're, and they, uh, they don't look good. Um, that wasn't the case with you. Did you experiment early on and say that wasn't what you wanted to do? Or, uh, even then did you, did you take care of yourself? Uh, you know, I, I never really, um, did a whole lot of, of much of anything back then. I was, I was pretty, pretty boring, I would say. And, uh, you know, um, you know, didn't, didn't, um, I didn't drink a lot, uh, didn't, didn't go out a lot, didn't stay out a lot, you know, real late or anything like that. Um, and, uh, you know, over time though, um, you know, I've, um, I, every once in a while I have a drink now or there again, mm-hmm. but nothing severe. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that helped out a lot. I think that, uh, you know, not, um, being a heavy drinker, not being, a you know, uh, doing a lot of different different uh, chemicals or drugs or anything like that over the years kind of helped. So. Yeah, but you look at, at a lot of these guys, and you see them at the shows now, um, and uh, there, there's no accusation of what they did as far as, but uh, the, the years of bumps and, uh, you know, and doing that uh-huh. and, and what they, their lifestyle they led, uh, really, it, there's a major difference. You know, what I'm talking about. You can see people, and they're, and, they're, and you see uh, some of these guys that that still look great, and I think that accounts for it. That early on in their lives, they realized, you know, I got to take care of this machine. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 the being on the road in and of itself is, yeah. is hard enough on you physically, um, and uh, you know, any more these days. I tell you, I, I just came back, um, had went over to Australia. We were there for uh, 13 days. Did a uh, 24 hour, 24 flights in 13 days. Oh my God! And Is that with man. Tommy Dreamer and uh, Hardcore? Is that what you? Yeah. Mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, um, we uh, we went and did that, and then uh, Mick and I, Mick Foley, did his uh, 20 Years of Hell tour, uh, <laughs> where we did, you know, the 20. Uh, he did his. Um, stories and you know I opened up for him when we did almost like a at all the stand-up clubs and yeah. uh, sold out throughout Australia and it was great <laughs> and we had a great time and yeah. had a lot of fun but boy physically yeah but I can tell like you know I'm I'm getting older and the travel and stuff is really starting to starting to wear on me a lot more than what it would have done you know years ago yeah but going on the other side of the world is no matter what age you are is is really really tough Oh yeah, it's it, that that initial yeah. seventeen-hour flight. Oh God, you know, puts you in the hole right out of the gate. So. Yeah. Well, I was going to bring up Mick later, but since you did mention him, I know that you guys have been very close friends for a long time. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that relationship, and, uh, and and how it first, you know, how you first became friends. Well, we you know we we really only. Uh, occasionally met on the independence and where we really met and we started traveling together was in uh wwe and we just you know we kind of just hit it off and um you know of course everybody knows about you know the uh mick always taking shots at me and everything (laughs) like that but what they what they don't know is is that that kind of started as a, a a game like a verbal boxing match that we would we'd do amongst you know just between the two of us we'd do in the car and we'd throw you know um, verbal punches back and forth, and believe me, um, there have been plenty of times I've, I've, you know, gave him the old standing eight, or I've, I've, you know, had him on the ropes, or I've out and out knocked him out. So, uh-huh. um, but we, you know, he, 
he of course now takes it out into the public so he can get cheap laughs because he does the, he, you know, does the uh, the old fake laugh which gets everybody else to laugh and make a joke <laughs> that's not that funny seem funny. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, okay. So, um, but we, you know, we're we're still good friends, and we, uh, you know, we had a great time over there. Um, you know, we and we, for whatever reason, we just seem to have a, a you know a chemistry when we're on you know, on screen, on TV, we just, you know, play off each other very well. And, you know, I play the foil or the, the straight man and, and, you know, he takes advantage of it and, um, and people seem to enjoy it when we work. You know, you, you talk about these shows and a few of the other guys go out and do this. I, you know, Hacksaw, uh, does stand up. Uh, he'll take Jake with him here and there. Uh, and these are pretty popular. It's it's like, it's another, uh, outlet for these guys. I mean, you guys, when you come down to it, you're performers and you're entertainers. Yeah. And, uh, but now you've been involved in these and, and, and people really enjoy these. And are, are they a, a wrestling crowd that comes, maybe a, a, a majority of them? But also, do you get other people that just uh, have heard, you know, this guy's famous. They remember they've seen him. Uh, what, what kind of people show up to these? Well, it's, it's, it's primarily a wrestling crowd. Yeah. Uh, but there are a mix. There are those people that, you know, that you know will come out um, because you know they might be uh, uh, casual wrestling fans, yeah. um, and they remember seeing you on TV. They remember you being entertaining or or whatever, right. and and they want to you know want to come out and have a good time. And I know you're right. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of guys have been taking it up and doing this sort of thing. And yeah, a little bit of experience that I've had just on this this tour because I before this I had never done anything. Um, <laughs> It it's very much uh, it's very much akin to like what you do in the ring. I mean, you get a sense and a feel for the audience. You yeah. t- it's timing and you know and um, you know uh, pacing and um, you know um, and you get that in that instant uh, feedback from the audience um, as you're doing it, much like you do in a wrestling match. And um, you know it's 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 very it's very enjoyable. I mean it's. It's one of the few things that I found that's that's even close to like what we do in the ring, uh, performance-wise. Yeah, and, and it's amazing how many skills you, when you look back, how many skills you picked up that you probably maybe early on didn't realize how you yeah. would be utilizing throughout your whole life. Like you said, uh, being able to read a crowd, uh, you know, uh, finding out what works, what doesn't, your timing. You know, I mean, it's that's all part of what you learned in the ring. It's it's incredible. Yeah, and and, and the ability to. You know, even, um, you know, just to tell a story, I mean, yeah. um, not just physically, but also verbally um, on the microphone and, and pacing it and telling it in a way that keeps people interested and then builds to a point where, you know, they they enjoy the story and are entertained. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's um, you don't realize it when you're doing it, but my, you know, I'm, I've always said, I mean, I'm so grateful uh, for the wrestling business, you know, I, I love it. I mean, I've, I've, I've always been in love with the wrestling business. I always will be. I mean, as you know, everybody's so, so dark and brooding about it and mm-hmm. treat it as if it's like a cross to bear. But I, honest to God, I, it, it, it's been, it's been fantastic. And yeah. it's all been positive. No, but I ne- there's never been a day in 36 years of doing it that I've ever regretted doing it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate to, get to do and see and go places I never would have had the opportunity to get to meet people. I mean, like yourself, you know, and getting to do, 
an interview like this is only directly as a result of being involved in professional wrestling. But on top of that, to your point, I've gotten to learn an immense amount of skills that I've been able to apply in other places of my life that, you know, there's really, I can't think of any, quite anything that would have given me that, that kind of experience and, and that kind of, uh, skill level, uh, doing, doing any other job. Yeah. And, and I've heard you mention before that, um, you know, like you said, like what other profession do you, you get to basically, uh, go out into a ring in your underwear, uh, you yeah. know, and, and get to, you know, tell a yeah. story and, you know, have a fun and play with these <laughs> different people and then have a crowd, uh, thank you for doing it by cheering for you, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you get to be, you know, a superhero, a rock star, a soap opera star, you know, uh, um, you know, you get to be a stuntman, a professional athlete. I mean, you literally get to do every single thing, you know, that you can imagine all in one time. And, uh, and, you know, and you immediately get the feedback from the audience and, uh, you know, and, and you get to live in the moment. I mean, I've, I've done some acting and, and mm-hmm. toyed with it, and it's very enjoyable, but yeah. it, nothing can compare to wrestling because, you know, uh, you, you're out there and, it, you know, I don't need to explain this to you. I mean, you've, you've had your own experience. I mean, it's, it's a living, breathing thing while you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're there doing it. And, you know, people can watch it. Um, they can, you know, catch a tape of something that you did, uh, 10 years ago or something, but it's never like being there that moment in time with that emotion. Um, you know, they'll be able to replay the, the tape, but they'll never get to replay that experience. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like you, you mentioned that, you know, I mean, they're, it's like your their kid your kids that never have to grow up. And that's why you understand why people want to stay in this business for as long as they can possibly do it. And I remember I was at a, a forum and I, uh, so people asked me, you know, so what do you, what do you, you know, what, what do you think that wrestlers really are? And I said, they're storytellers and, and think about it, that that's what they do. They go out there to tell you a story and they get to act it out. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, not a lot of them can do it, but, uh, some of the, some have been really good actors. Maybe the other ones are bad actors, not as good of actors, but that's what they are. They, and so, you know, what's not to love about that? Well, I think professional wrestler, I mean, it's a natural extension to, to be an actor. There is yeah. a, a whole different set of etiquette and, uh, you know, expectations and also skills that, you know, a, a, as an actor, you have to learn. Uh, as opposed to being a wrestler. I mean, they're very similar and they're very in the same wheelhouse, but I think, um, you know, professional wrestlers are more, I call them reactors. Um, you know, the way they, you know, it, it's more of a, uh, their, uh, what do you call that type of acting where it's, they, they adopt the character. Oh, method. Method. method, method yes. Yeah. Where they, you know, because the, you know, uh, the best characters, um, or what we would call quote unquote in the wrestling business gimmicks, yeah. Or people that, you know, they're just natural extensions of who they really are with the volume turned way up. Yeah. And then all they have to do is just react to the situations that they're being put into. And that's why, you know, it comes across. Whereas an actor has to adopt something that is completely foreign and, 
you know, different to their true nature and then and, and behave in that manner. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is a little tougher, I think. Than, um, well, and that's, uh, I think they'd also make great uh, improv, you know, because that's oh, a lot yeah. of just improvisation. Uh, yeah, we got a little off track here, and that's not unusual with uh, my podcast. But I, I want to take you way back because I really find it really interesting. You were really young getting into this business. I, I don't know if you were even out of high school before you started to attempt to get into the business. But, uh, you know, what was it? I, uh, I started trying to get into the wrestling business um, um, back when I was 14. And I tell people all the time, I'm just like, you know, which, of course, when I was 14, there was, there was no way I would have happened anyways. But, um, you know, it, it was easier to become a made man in the mafia back then than it was to get in the wrestling business. Yeah. You know, it was so, so close, so, mm-hmm. so protected. And, um, and um, you know, I try and try and try and try and, and all through high school. And finally, I was 18 years old. I got a hold of Gene and Ole, Gene Anderson, basically wrote a Greyhound bus, which if, if ever we want to, you know, uh, we close down uh, any of the federal prisons, we just throw them on, you know, throw these people on a Greyhound bus. That'll be torture enough. I mean, <laughs> Good yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's inhuman. Uh, 25 hours? Oh, my God. Yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, you want to get information out of yeah. somebody, <laughs> water for them, put them on a Greyhound bus and let them take a ride. It'll get, you'll get about, it. About so, six hours in? You ready? Yeah, six hours in, they're going to crack. They're going to tell you exactly <laughs> everything you want. Right. Don't worry. And it'll all be the truth because they'll, they'll be terrified they get, they're going to get put back on there. So, so, so where's this bus ride from Ohio to where, you, where North Carolina and, and you know, basically, uh, to, to shorten up the story, you know, I'd be, I basically go down there and pay, you know, 250 bucks and just get my butt kicked and my nose broke and sent on my way. And, you know, um, and they'd never expect to see me again. And then of course I, you know, keep at it and keep after and finally find, uh, contact Jim Lancaster and, journeyman wrestler in Ohio that was going into semi-retirement at the time and convinced him to train me. And, and that was it. I was, I broke in when I was 18 years old and, um, had my first match May 22nd of 1982. And I've been doing it ever since. Well, you know, and you kind of, you kind of pass over that, uh, you know, rite of passage early on with Ole and, and Gene. Uh, but you make a good point that, um, you know, they, nobody got in easy. And, no. uh, I, 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 I've heard you say that, um, you know, uh, a lot of these guys came you know, they call it stretching, you know, that, but it's basically just to kick the living shit out of you and then see if you're Perfect. either going to go run off or you're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very uh, precise, uh, process. And, uh, you know, the guys that leave, you don't want them going out cause you back then uh, it was, you know, uh, you know, people would dare say, oh, it's fake or, but they, these guys would go away saying, well, you could think what the hell you want, but they kicked, they kicked the crap out of me. So yeah. it didn't look too fake to me. And also uh, the guys who absolutely, who stuck around. And I don't know, I can't remember the number of people that you, uh, were involved in that. Uh, and I'm putting up the quotes, tryout. um, <laughs> how many he started. And I don't know if you were the last man standing or was anybody else, but, uh, uh, that was the, that was how it was done back then, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There was probably I'd say <clears throat> there 
35 or 40 people that tried out that day. And then as the day wore on, you know, we just kept losing more and more people. Yeah, so we were do probably ridiculous. down to about 10 or 12. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, but that was the way it was done. It was done for the reason that, one, they wanted to, they wanted to ensure that, you know, if you did get in, that into the wrestling business, they could trust you. They knew that you were wanting to be there for the right reasons, that if they all put themselves a step down to put you a step forward, that you weren't going to then turn around and crack and give up and quit, you know. Um, and also they wanted to, you know, send, put the word out there to, to everyone that, hey, you know, you might think it's fake, and, uh, but this is, this is physically, this is a tough, hard business. So if you did quit, you'd quit and leave and go tell everybody, good Lord, I, you know, I don't care what you say. I mean, it, it's, this is hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's, these guys wore me out. And, uh, and that was their way of, you know, ensuring that, uh, you know, their, their only means of income stay alive. I mean, I try to explain this to uh, people because I think that a lot of, especially these days, a lot of people misunderstand or have a, uh, uh, the wrong idea. They, they assume that, uh, yeah. fans, just general fans of any nature, uh, all just learned in the last 20 years that professional wrestling was predetermined. Mm -hmm. Um, when nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, right. that was a pretty much commonly held, uh, bit of information. You know, I remember I was 12 years old and when I informed my family who, None of them are men's candidates. God love them. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it was like, hey, I want to be a professional wrestler. And every one of them said, why do you want to do that? That's fake. Uh -huh. You know, uh, I, none of them had ever done it. Um, so how did any of them know that it was? And that was quite honestly, it's because just everybody knew. I mean, it was just accepted fact. But the reason there were still, you know, it still attracted and drew audiences of a thousand thousands of people is because at least while you were there mm -hmm. uh, if nothing else while you were in the building you could you could buy into and believe that you were watching a competitive situation yeah. that, that, that the win and the loss had a consequence to it yeah. and the wrestlers themselves never at any given time um ceased selling um the two most important things which were who they were or why they did it you know, and, and that allowed an audience to at no point in time feel like they had been taken advantage of or, or swerved or lied to, that they could, they could buy and believe in it and, and not feel stupid. And, uh, you know, I think these days so many of the guys, the young guys, they, they make that assumption that, well, everybody knows it's, it's quote-unquote fake and, you know, i.e. predetermined. So, you know, we can just go on the Internet and, congratulate each other for what a great match it was but right. then they don't understand why the audience doesn't get as emotionally connected and involved um or allow themselves to um you know when ultimately if they did um tomorrow you're gonna, they're going to see where you know the guys are shaking hands and congratulate each other for having a great match and had a good time yeah and it's like well shoot no I, I it's not fun for me anymore you know. Yeah, when when that happened, when when the, you know the big reveal, and I remember you know people thinking, well, God, if they admit it, if they say that's the way, it's going to ruin the business. It's going to kill. No, it didn't, because 
you know, these people, it, they, they weren't stupid, but like you said, they, they wanted to go along with when they go in there, you're exactly right. You, I still do the same thing. When I get a chance to go to these events, I totally get into the, all right, what's going on with this guy, you know? Yeah. And like you said, to, to cross that line, it's like, you know, you're, you're ruining it for me. I, I sure I know, but you know, it's, it's like going to a movie to, you know, don't, 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 don't tell me the end. I want to watch the story develop. And, and, and I just remember back then, a lot of people don't realize that one of the whole reasons that they even finally just came out was with the athletic commissions. They were tired of this illusion. And you remember this back then, they'd have the doctor come in and all the, and it was just ridiculous and the money they spent and yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. I tried to liken it to it's, you know, which we, we, you and I know as kayfabe, yeah. uh, you know, I try to liken it to, it's no different than if you were, you know, the, the, the production company in Hollywood, you know, and they spend millions of dollars for one reason, one reason alone. And that is that during the time that you're watching that movie, nothing on that screen happens to where it takes the audience, even for a split second out of that world that mm-hmm. they've created, yeah. you know, and, and the, the adherence to simply uh, always, you know, saying, you know, telling people, you know, always making them believe who you are in the ring and out and you're the same person outside the ring and, and why you do it, that you, you know, that the win and loss really matters to you because you're a quote unquote, you know, um, uh, prize fighter much like a boxer or, or, or any other athlete that's in a competitive sport. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you adhere to those things, then it, it always allows the audience to, hey, you know, I, I really care about what's going to happen next month, and I want to show back up, and hopefully the guy I want to win is going to win, and because it yeah. matters. It means something, because if he loses, there's a consequence to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I point out, too, I mean, it, it was... It, it wasn't just here in the United States. I remember watching Monty Python back in the <laughs> 70s. I forget what year it was. And they did yeah. a skit, um, you know, uh, where they had two professional wrestlers in the ring. And they were, you know, they they were growling and grunting and they'd lock up. And as soon as they'd lock up, the one would, you know, the one of them would say, hello, uh, you know, Sheldon, how are you? And they'd start having yeah, a conversation. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You know? How are the kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then they grab a headlock and start rah, 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 and then he'd pull, you know, he'd take the guy down, and then it would be, well, everything's lovely. Uh, you going to come over for dinner? Yes, I'm going to pull, you know, and that was in, that was back in the 70s. They were yeah. making fun of it in right. Britain. So, yeah. you know, it's it's been a very commonly held notion that professional wrestling has been. Yeah, but people, everybody wants to go for the ride, and that is the, that's sure. something that is never never changed with this business. It certainly changed dramatically over the years, but that is something, uh, why it's really, it's, it remains so popular. Uh, when, when you, uh, walked out of that, we got back on the bus, I guess, to go home. Um, you, you, out, you lasted the, you went the distance, but did they say, yeah, you can come back. Or did you say like, I don't want any more. I don't want another, anything else to do with these two. No. Um, what would, what was the routine was uh, both Oli and Gene were there. Right. Oli had about five guys that he was already training, and um, and when I first arrived, you know, I was one of the first guys there. So Gene was the only guy there, and um, 
So I, you know, they gave us a release, and of course I signed, you know, in the blank spot Gene's name, the, the yeah. guy that I was going to hold harmless. And, you know, um, we begin, you know, Oli shows up with his five guys, and it's, you know, they take you through, and they basically just exhaust you. They blow right. you up. You know, Squat, and then they and, and then they kill you in the ring, right? They just then they put you in with the students who stretch you, and then now Oli would finally because he was the you know he was the wrestler part of it, and he would now hook you know get in and he'd hook you and stretch you and you know and then send you on your way. Um, but because I went through all of the other stuff, and then I went through the five guys, and then um, because I had signed Gene's name, Gene had to get in the ring and. Yeah. You know, Gene wasn't a wrestler, he, but he was he was nasty, and boy, he started pulling my hair and, you know, uh, uh, fish-hooking me and, and uh, raking my eyes for, for real, and so I'm starting to struggle and fight back, and one thing led to another, and, you know, he tries to grab my groin, and I grab his, and I'm holding on for dear life, and he rolls me over on my back and starts, puts his thumb in my eye and starts screaming, hey, do you want to lose your eye, do you want to lose that? And now, Ole Anderson who I've watched, you know, basically terrorize everyone that's there, becomes the voice of reason and starts telling Gene, you know, hey, calm down. No, you don't need to do that. Um, in the meantime, I got my, you know, my nose got broken, the tussle, and um, I found out later when I went back to the hotel room, I had bite marks all over my oh back. Oh, my God. Gene had bit me. And, um, um, you know, so basically it just, you know, it kicked me in the ass and, to get out of my ring and you know i went back and cleaned up my face and my nose and came back out shook his hand asked him what time the show was that night came back and watched the show so and that but that was it with them you just went home and but uh, lesson learned mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and then later you know and a couple years later i was um when um they were you know um trying to Oli was trying to expand up into ohio when tbs at first was like the first national promotion Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everybody had always had eyes on the old Ed, Ed Farhat, the original Sheik's territory, which was Michigan, Ohio, and, you know, part of Western Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And, you know, he had a pretty big territory. And it was, this, this Ohio had always been a money-making territory. Yeah. And um, um, so they, uh, you know, started coming north and up into Ohio running house shows. Uh, the Mernicks were like the agents for the shows. And so to save money, you know, they would bring on some local guys for the undercard. So I was one of the, always the local guys that they would bring on. And so um, several years later, I'm sitting in the locker room, and there's Ole and Gene sitting right across from me in the same locker room. They don't recognize me. They, you know, they wouldn't have cared anyways, even if I'd have said anything. But I just thought it's funny. You know, here I am. I'm standing in it. I'm still going. So Still there. Still and... There. Uh, you know, you remind me when I look at that uh, that period of time for you. It it was a, a long time of you uh, being involved in these independent organizations. You remind me of a, like a minor league ball player who you know would keep making like make it to AAA, and you get that call up to the show, uh, you know, and then sent back down. And I mean, during that period of time, and that was a long stretch. And not to say you weren't working for you know big independents, but yeah. how did you keep going? When uh, you know, not the the big break uh, did not come. I mean, how what? I mean, that was a lot a lot of years. Um, well, it just because I you know I I, I love what I was doing, and you know it got frustrating. I got to be honest. Um, it really there were there toward the you know 
uh, the 10, eight to 10 year mark, boy, I started really, really starting to get really frustrated and, you know, finding it really difficult to keep pushing forward because, you know, uh, all I wanted to do was, is, was do this and, uh, you know, uh, be a professional wrestler and do that for a living. That was, that was the idea. That was what I wanted, um, what I considered to be a success. I mean, it was, it was different back then, you know, WWF was there and it was, was definitely a place that everyone wanted to go and be a mm-hmm. part of and you know but it was not it was not the be all end all you know what i mean it was not the 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 zenith of professional wrestling at that time it was big and it was important i mean i remember uh the connotation of uh you you know a guy would be in the locker room and you, most of the guys wouldn't think much of him and then all of a sudden you'd find out he had worked the garden you know mm-hmm. worked at the square garden everybody's oh Ooh, really right. What's it like, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and that because that was it was held in such high esteem, and yeah. so you know, um, and uh, uh, much like WrestleMania is now, I think, um, much the same way, and WWE in, in and of itself. But you know, you just the goals were to be able to make a really good, make a good living. Uh, have matches that people would remember, and then I wanted to create a name that, you know, years after I was out of the business, people, if I, my name came up, people go, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. I remember him. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just it was another also-ran kind of guy, you know. So, um, and, but it was frustrating. I mean, it was tough because uh, I had the reputation of being the best-kept secret in wrestling, mm-hmm. which is very flattering for about a year or two. And then you right. still yeah. secret. Come on. Yeah, and your bank account too. Yeah, you know, I I always was always able to make a living and 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 do what I love to do. But of course, there are times when I could make I you know I made more and and certainly times that I made a lot less. That's for sure. Um, you know, but I just wanted to get out there and get on a a platform and put myself out there. But the biggest thing that held me back was not having a demonstrative uh, personality, not having a character, mm-hmm. um, that people could connect with and, uh, and could relate to. And, you know, I could, was very astute, very, um, very well capable of performing in the ring. I mean, I, when I broke in, there were nothing but 80% of the ma- the boys in the business were either hookers or shooters. And I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with, uh, Al Costello who was a noted hooker and for years. And so I know, switches, takedowns, reversals. And, you know, I, I, I got to a point where, uh, you know, aerial moves, I, you know, I literally could stand on the ring apron, spring up to the top rope, turn in the midair, land on the top rope with both feet and moonsault into the ring. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, that stuff didn't draw me a dime. It, mm-hmm. was, it wasn't until I really developed a, a persona, a marketable persona. That was what got me my opportunity in Smoky Mountain Wrestling was, you know, I had known Cornette for years, and he saw me on a pay-per-view with Dan Severn for the UFC and saw me being a smartass on there, which is what made him think, hey, I can use this guy. I mean, just uh, seeing you in his corner? I was in his corner, and, I'm, and the uh, commentator came over. That was back when UFC was totally different. You know, yeah, it was when yeah. you legitimately you fought different styles. You know, Dan fought that night. He fought a Muay Thai guy in the first round. You fought three times. If you won each, you know, it was a tournament. Yeah, you didn't so, prepare for an, a, an opponent. You you prepared for a style and whoever showed up in the ring, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. 
And and it was, you know, it was at a time when everybody had very distinct styles. So he wrestled a Muay Thai guy. He fought a Muay Thai guy. In the second fight, he fought a long-style karate. And then the third third was going to be Hoist Gracie, who was, you know, jiu-jitsu. And, you know, the Gracies ran the, the, the company, and they ran the show. And, and you know, Hoist was the, the main guy. And so here comes the commentator over after Dan wins the second fight and is, like, you know, at, purposely asking a question trying to get Dan to put Hoyce over. And Dan just kind of stumbles and doesn't really say anything. And I don't know why, it just annoyed me. And the guy's like, well, what are you going to do now? You know, you know, when you go back to the locker room and Dan didn't say anything, I was like, well, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go have sex. You know, like, um, <laughs> what, what a stupid question that is to ask, you know, it's just like right. so moronic. You just, you're, you're begging for this guy that, you know, for Dan to put this for Hoyce over. I mean, come on, Hoyce is over. So, <laughs> Jimmy saw that, saw me make that smart-ass remark, and then it clicked. And, you know, he, he gave me an opportunity where, I, you know, I went down there and I became this smart-ass chicken shit heel that, you know, would run his mouth and, you know, uh, and then was with Glenn Jacobs, who, you know, came, who was Kane, went on to become Kane, mm -hmm. and now the mayor of Knox, Knoxville. That's right, yeah. And, uh, which I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah. And, uh you know, and and it was I would pick a fight, and then Glenn would stop it. You know, because he was the big, big Peter, uh, big cooler. So, you know, and then I kind of I, I got an opportunity with WWF and floundered because I, you know, um, had been a heel for you know twelve, thirteen years of my career, um, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm you know they didn't know what to do with me. I didn't have you know what to do with me. Um, until I, you know, I started really, that was when the frustration really started to set in. And I now, before, before we get to the, the WWE and that, you know, that break, yeah. uh, you mentioned Cornette, and like I said, you, you uh, worked a long time. I mean, you, your de you debut in 82, yeah. and this is around 95. So all, all these years, I mean, you're talking, you know, uh, God, what, 12, 13 years. Yeah. And was this... Like the first time, really, that would you would you consider where uh, I don't know if you call it a, a you know first big opportunity, but I mean it would lead you to the ECW and uh, where you really felt like okay now I'm getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it it, um, it it took a while. I gotta be I gotta I gotta be honest. I mean, it, but that was what led to the frustration is that when I went yeah. to WWF and I floundered. And you know, I don't even tell you, you were there. Um, back then, you, they didn't have downside guarantees. They didn't have guarantees of anything. You were guaranteed 12 dates, which were all TV dates, at 100 bucks a date. That was it. You know, 1200 bucks. Woo! Yeah. And if you didn't get booked, you didn't get paid. You know, right. um, uh, that was the way it worked. And, you know, here I am. I work, um, you know, 12, 13 years to finally get to a point where, okay, now I'm on a platform where now this is what I, you know, I can get a run. I can, now I can do what I love to do. And, you know, um, here we go. And then I just get to sit at home and yeah. boy, you know, I, I, that just started to really just eat at me and frustrate me. And then, and I came from, I came from, you know, uh, a part of the business that was, Hey, you go out there and you're the one that's responsible. So, in, you know, you really had a lot more freedom. And, yeah. 
you know, you, you didn't have a whole lot of direction. You just kind of did what you needed to do to, as a heel to get the baby face over so you could get heat, so you could, you know, you know, draw a little money and, you know, maybe do work a return so that you could get booked again. And, you know, now it's a completely different animal, you know. Yeah. Um, you're up there in WWF and, you know, you're not, you know, I'm kind of, you're a square peg in a round hole and, you know, um, starting to get more and more frustrated. Uh, they put me with Marty and I have a little bit of a run with Marty Janetti and then that comes to an end and I'm right back where I started from and now I'm even more frustrated and starting to get almost desperate and, and then, uh, you know, the light shines through the window and it's CCW and, you know, I get, I get kind of put on loan over there and one thing led to another and I developed the, the head persona that really connected and the reason, yeah. the only reason it really connected was, it quite honestly was, that bad attitude of mine, you know, found a voice. I, I was able to direct all my frustration and all my smart ass comments through the head or at the head. And, uh, and it worked, thank God. And, uh, you know, I was able to continue my career. Well, and through that, 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 uh, that point in your career, really, in some ways it was a shoot for you, wasn't it? That, uh, you, you know, you got to a point where you're just like, what the hell do I got to do? Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, and you've heard, and I, you've heard these, this kind of story before the one that, uh, like with Steve Austin and even, uh, you know, the rock and they find that the, when they finally had their break was when they stopped listening to everybody and said, you know what, this is it for me. Yeah. And if I'm not true to myself, uh, I'm done. I, you know, I, they, what they're doing is not helping me. It's not making me, uh, any better. It's not getting me over Were you at that point. Really? Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, yeah, that was exactly at the same point. And in the, uh, you know, um, through, I tell guys all the time because I, I do a lot of training, you know, I've trained a lot of people yeah. and, um, you know, been very lucky to, you know, I was part of the developmental program, you know, uh, running that for with OVW down here in Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, I've trained a lot of different people and, uh, it, it, it uh, you know, I tell them all, I am not teaching you what I know. I'm teaching you where I made my mistakes. And one hmm. of the biggest mistakes I made was assuming that it was somebody else's responsibility or ability to get me over hmm. or to, you know, make things in that ring work for me. And nothing could have been further from the truth. You know, at the end of the day, as much as we'd all as performers like to point the finger and, you know, and, and, and listen, I, there are politics and there are situations that do occur that you can't control and, you know, that do hinder you. Uh, but when you get in the ring, there's nothing that anybody can do to help you. And there's nothing anybody can do to hinder you. It is 100% on you. And, and, and I do believe firmly Vince McMahon, you know, will allow you to do it, but you got to have the balls to do it. And you've you got to be willing to take that chance. And, you know, if you hit a home run, well, you get to reap rewards. If you strike out, well, you know, you're not going to get to play anymore, you know? And, uh, because I think too many, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but I think too many of the performers these days view the, you know, their spot as a wrestler, as if it's a job, like they work for Walmart or something. Mm. You know, I, I hear the attitude of, well, I've spent X amount of time in the business, so I'm entitled to this or that. You're not entitled to anything. 
Yeah. You know, you've got to earn your spot just like everybody else does every single night. And, and the same goes with, you know, uh, when you go out there, every time you go out there, it's an opportunity for you to create something that now Vince McMahon can exploit and promote and the two of you can make money together. Yeah, and I really love that analogy that uh, I've heard you talk about before. But, um, you know, I think that today it's so it's so controlled. I mean, when I was with the company, I, they didn't have writers. They didn't have any writers. They had a couple that, uh, you know, people that uh, we call them creative. Mm -hmm. But now, I mean, I don't know, there's like 20 or plus of these guys and, and uh, you know, uh, back back then you were able to because you did all these house shows and you know a lot of these guys had a gimmick that they developed they get you know on their own uh, even if they did give you something it was up to you to come up with uh, who that character was and and many you know and live it and mm -hmm. I, I think that that is that's what's different today but as I mentioned that uh, that your analogy of this is that it's not it's not uh, Vince hiring you and saying, okay, do this. This is your job that yeah. you mentioned that it's a partnership in a, in a lot of ways and it's up to you. you know, they, they, they will give you that stage, but you've got to perform on it. Yeah. You've got to go out there and make it your own. You've got to create that magic, you know, and, and it, it doesn't matter how technically sound you are. Or good We've seen you them are. all. Yeah. You know, it's, it, what matters is, you know, uh, can you create that persona, that personality that uh, the average person can turn to their friends and family and go, oh, you got to watch this show. There's this guy or mm -hmm. girl that's A, B, C, D, E, yeah. you know, and you want, you know, everything they stand for, you know, what they'll do to win, what they will do not to lose, you know, the whole deal. And you relate to them on a, a on a, a, a visceral level, on an emotional level, you yeah. know. Well, how many times did you see in your career where you could see that light go on? I mean, for a, be I don't know, a better analogy, but uh, in that, that performer, that individual, where uh, suddenly he owned it. And, and that confidence was there, and they were that person, that character. Yeah. And mm -hmm. was it the same for you uh, yeah. at that point with the head that yeah. when you think back? Yeah, absolutely. And... And the same, even more so when I was in Smoky Mountain and OBW, or I mean in Smoky Mountain and, and in, had that kind of that character, you know, I, I remember during that time, not only physically was I, you know, firing on all cylinders, but like mentally, like, you know, I was coming up with, you know, promos and finishes and, uh, um, you know, and, uh, just in it was it was it was like second nature to me because it was it was who I was and it was and it worked you know and the same goes for when I was had to run an ECW and, and had the head you know um, it was and I had the freedom you know uh, it got to a point where Paul Heyman would just he'd leave uh, he left uh, Charlie uh, was his name and uh, Ron the cam the two camera guys and myself left us for a day in Florida and just like, Hey, go shoot vignettes. Just that yeah. was the only direction the just go yeah. out and, you know, shoot whatever you want to shoot. <laughs> and, uh, and because he, he knew that we'd be able to, you know, come up with stuff. They'd Tommy dreamer would walk up to me and go, and we need you to go uh, shoot a backstage vignette. 
uh, go do it. And they just walk away. Yeah. And, you know, because they, they knew that I was going to do what I needed to do. Um, and that was cause it, you know, it clicked, it worked, it, it was, it was who I was. And, uh, there was no, it wasn't hard. It was, it was pretty effortless and it was so much, so much fun, so much yeah. fun. So did that change? I mean, uh, it was over in the uh, w- with the WWE, uh, mm-hmm. but was there more control? And is that what did that change it for you? No, no. What happened was is is um, my lack of experience and my uh, um, I guess you could say myopic view of what I did in the ring. Um, you know, I started to get caught up, uh, cause wrestlers, I have a tendency to get caught up in the, what I call the wrestling bubble. And that's the, uh, influence, the high influence of their fellow wrestlers, the, uh, and the very high influence of the, uh, vocal minority of that are the hardcore wrestling fans mm-hmm. and, uh, the importance they place on being a good quote unquote wrestler as opposed to being a good worker a good mm-hmm. worker draws money a good worker uses their time in the ring to be an attraction a good worker understands certain matches do certain business mm-hmm. not every match needs to be a quote-unquote good match in the terms that wrestling fans use which is that it has to be uh, fast-paced exciting and competitive some matches aren't meant to be competitive some matches are meant to make you look, you know, like six months from now, you could be the heavyweight champion, but you need to look like the heavyweight champion now. Mm-hmm. And that means that that match with that guy is not going to be as competitive as it normally would be. You know, a good example of that is, uh, uh, and, and I made the same mistake. And a lot of guys make those mistakes when they come in, they'd have a dark match. And, and this is to take nothing away. I want to make this clear uh, from Funaki. Funaki is a very talented individual um it was there for a very lengthy period of time and, st- and is still there again uh doing commentary for the, the japanese commentary mm-hmm. um and very very good very good hand but physically it was a certain size and the way that they utilized him was at the very bottom of the card you know uh guys would come in and they would he would be the guy that they would put in the ring because they knew who he was and how good he was and if you couldn't have a good match with Funaki then you must not be that good. Mm-hmm. But guys would go in and they, with the idea, and I made the same mistake, hey, I'm going to go in there and show them what I can do. Well, they already know what you can do, otherwise <laughs> you wouldn't be there. But they still, I want to make, I want to have the best match on the show. So they go out and they go out and have, try to have the best match on the show, which means they need to have a competitive match with Fanaki. Here's the problem. In order to have the competitive match with Fanaki, who is, Uh, without a question or doubt was booked at the bottom of the card you now need to either take yourself down to his level or elevate him up to yours Mm -hmm. so there the the people in the back are looking to see do you know how to be a star do you know how to get over do you know how to be an attraction not do you know how to be a good wrestler because they need you to be the attraction not to be the good wrestler you know they can go hand in hand but really more important that you be an attraction i mean let's you know jim helwig the ultimate warrior was you know he was certainly not Luthez, but no he was, he was <laughs> an, but he was an incredible attraction yeah. you know he shake that top rope 
Correct. Gotcha. And, and, you know, as long as you keep that understanding, you know, it, when you go in there, then you are successful. But too many, including myself, went in there and tried to have that great match. Now, you know, uh, I always use example that if Triple H were to go in there and would work with Finaki, it would still be a good match. But you clearly would be able to see that P Triple H was here on the ladder at the top and Finaki was at the bottom. Yeah. He'd make it competitive. He'd make it entertaining. But there, at no point in time would you ever think that Finaki was now on his level or he was on Finaki's. And that's a skill that if you don't understand it and you don't know how to do it, then you you lose or miss opportunities. Um, and and that, that was the situation for me, is that, you know, I ended up um, missing or, or losing opportunities because of, of that kind of mindset and, and not understanding what it was I was really supposed to be doing out there. I'm not out there just to wrestle. Yeah. My job is not to wrestle. My job is use wrestling to motivate you to want to leave the comfort and security of your home, drive to a building, pay for parking, pay a ridiculous amount of money to get into that building, to sit in an uncomfortable seat around people you don't want to sit around, to eat food you don't want to eat, to watch me perform in that ring. Yeah. And that's a hard, hard job. It is really tough. Yeah. Well, and you, you talk about, you know, probably the, the time you were over the most was the, the, the head uh, mm -hmm. gimmick. And it seemed to still be very popular uh, in, uh, what was it, 99 yeah. Uh, do you think that the WWE caved to kind of outside pressure? I know that there was people saying it was a you know bad message for, uh, you know, for women. And I think Walmart pulled your doll from shelves. Did you think any of that had to do with it? And were you like, wait a minute, so. this yeah. is, <laughs> this is good. Yeah. They never came. To, I think there it was a two prong thing. One, I think they never came to me and they never, they never spoke to me about it. But I do think that there was a lot of pressure because I do remember back that there were several times they tried to kill it. They tried to kill the head in different ways, but you couldn't couldn't kill it. I mean, it just huh? resurrected. It just you know it was like a vampire, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and from outside influences. And I think, and this was my fault because I never uh, fully explained it. Um, to this day, most people don't know or understand. And uh, is that the, what is the catchphrase, what does everybody want, what does everybody need, what does everybody love? Everybody always assumed that I was referencing, you know, uh, you know oral sex. And, and yeah, it was a double entendre, and mm -hmm. I got it. But that, quite honestly, was not it at all. The whole idea behind that was that um, I was actually shooting an angle where I was going to turn heel on the head um, in the uh, – if you paid it, if people would pay attention whenever I do the one is everybody want, what does everybody need, I would start to get more angry. Because mm -hmm. here's a guy who spent 14, 15, 16 years desperately wanting success, desperately yeah. wanting to be, you know, the thing that everybody wants, the thing that everybody needs, and the thing that everybody loves. And what do they still chant for? What do they still cheer for? What do they want, need, and love? Not me. Uh -huh. They want, need, and love the head. So at some point, if I were legitimately insane and I thought that this thing was had a personality and was real, I would get jealous and I would, of course, turn on it and I would have a storyline with it, you know, and that was the whole purpose. That was the whole motivation behind that was not to play off the double entendre, even though it did, 
Yeah. Um, it was to basically, you know, get angry and upset and feel jilted um, because they were getting all the attention and I wasn't. Yeah. And, um, and I would eventually turn on and uh, turn on the head. And then, of course, you know, at some point make up and we'd be reunited and, and <laughs> Just, everything would be fine. So, so, so <laughs> and I know that, but it makes but, sense. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it sounds insane, but right. in, when you're insane, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And so yeah. instead, they give you a chihuahua. Instead they, of gave me, they tried to kill the head off, gave me a chihuahua, and then, you know, um, you know, did that whole debacle. So. Yeah, and, and thank, you know, uh, to, Bo to Bubba's credit, to Big Boss Man, yeah, the two of you must, I, I, I don't know when, when this all was coming together, but uh, the, the, was there one, was there more than one Pepper? I mean, you know, they always said in the movies, there's, there was more than one Benji. Uh, but no, I think I think you talk about people. Which was it? At whatever city you went to, somebody showed up with a Tuawa that they they put a call out out for. Yeah. How did it work? Here's how. Here's what exactly happened. Uh. And and because I want to make this com completely clear, because I don't know how I I have been held responsible for you. <laughs> even even boss man's never held been held responsible for it, and he was yeah. involved in it too. But just me. Um, <laughs> when Vince Russo approached me about doing it, okay, yeah. and I, this, I swear to God, Sean, I cannot emphasize this enough. The first words out of my mouth were, okay, that's great, you know, because I would never say no. I was always into, you know, you know, I was always open to doing anything. And mm -hmm. especially because my character was insane, I was free yeah. to do anything I wanted. I could get away with anything. So I go, yeah, sure, that's fine, you know, because he's telling, you know, the Son of Sam movie, and this was the inspiration. I go, fantastic. I said, here's the deal. You have to have trained animals. You understand. You have to have trained animals. I cannot emphasize that enough. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, 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 we trained animals. Oh, okay. So, uh, of course, I show up at the first show, and here's Chihuahua, and, you know, it's because they've called a veterinarian clinic and they have gotten the name of owners that have a chihuahua and, you know, basically bring the dog. And now I've got this chihuahua that they're actually entertaining the idea of buying and let me keep forever. And I'm thinking, oh, God, please, no. <laughs> so, you know, they would bring it to TV every week and it was the same dog, but it was never a trained animal. Yeah, right. So, of course, this makes me panic. And I, of course, repeatedly, every time I see anyone who would listen to me go, uh, when we get to this kennel from Hal Match, we're going to have trained animals, correct? And I do mean, like, these have to be highly trained attack animals that can work on verbal commands. Yeah. Like where police dogs, right? Like, like <laughs> And they're all from the same kennel. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and the uh, trainer standing outside the kid. This is what I'm envisioning. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're gonna Starling have attack dogs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And now, keep in mind, you've, you've built the entire crux of the storyline around yeah. these dogs, around these yeah. animals, which, hey, let's face it, uh, anybody in entertainment or even porn know that you can't work with children or animals. So, you know. <laughs> so W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields. I think he coined that. that, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but what are we going to do? We're yeah. going to have a live 
event, and we're going to have multiple animals, and they're the crux of the story. We've told months of a story about and building up to the involvement of these animals. And then the day of the event, we just call a veterinarian clinic and get a list of owners who all have Rottweilers, and we just have them show up. And one of them had some obedience training. That's it. Yeah, I know that was a disaster as far as what they were doing at ringside. Anything but urinating, defecating, <laughs> fornicating to the Something. point where, yeah, to where we had you know two owners had to exchange phone numbers for puppy rides. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. So now you've got the, uh, the entire story built around uh, a gimmick that you can't utilize. You can't you can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't even show them on TV. Well, and, and you wanted to train Pepper too. I mean, what would have been the what what would you have wanted this uh, Chihuahua to to be able to do is if 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 it was trained the way you wanted it to be? Just because you could have interacted with it, you could you know instead of the dog just running around and just ignoring you, you know, <laughs> if you and you trying to act like you're you know the dog would have paid attention would have the done, dog loved you yeah. yeah yeah would have you know done some kind of interaction or you know, some kind of tricks or something. Give me a pause, something. Something <laughs> where it looked like we were actually connected, um, you know, and there might have even been a hint, but uh, it was it was a good indication to me. And, uh, you know, um, I'm like, hey, we need trained animals. Yeah, sure. Here's a chihuahua that we just found from a veterinarian clinic. Yeah. Oh, uh, and now I'm in a, a panic. You know, we need train animals for the match. Oh, yeah, sure. And then, of course, I get to Charlotte, and it's, you know, we just contacted the veterinarian clinic again. And that was it. I'm like, oh, my God, please kill me. Yeah. Well, uh, besides that, I mean, there, you had yeah. some really uh, uh, great times in the WWE. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I always – I had a conversation with Raven, which, uh, you know uh, – He's been, you know, he's been like, he said, he says, like, took 10 years of therapy for him to finally come to terms that, hey, you know what? I had a pretty good career. But when you think about it, um, even getting to that level, even if you get to that, to the show, uh, you, uh, that is a tremendous accomplishment. Oh, if you think about the thousands there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And I think that um, because this business is, is so tough and you, uh, you know, like I've said before, you don't need, uh, you know, it's not thick skin. It's, it's, you got to have Kevlar to survive, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, I don't know. I, I hope that, um, you know, you've been able to look at it that way and understand, you know, that, uh, what you you did with, as far as your wrestling career went is, is unbelievable. What, what wow. to get to the, the, the level. And I hope that you were able to appreciate it at times because we all, you know, are, are like that. But have you been able to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, especially with time and perspective and, you know, and of course, you know, because it's so competitive, you know, so many try to belittle or, or downplay what you've accomplished, you know, yeah. because that way they're, they feel like theirs are more or, you know, bigger. Um, so you, sometimes you, you start to kind of buy into and believe in it yourself. Um, but I'm very proud of and very, I could not be more thankful for the time that I spent in WWE and, and you know, uh, the opportunities that were given to me and, and the career that I've had because of it, um, both during and after, um, you know, and I continue to have opportunities 
mm -hmm. uh, and experiences all based off of, you know, that time that I spent in WWE. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of what I did. And, you know, yeah, I made a, I made a lot of mistakes and, um, and I missed um, or did not take advantage fully of a lot of opportunities. Um, that's for sure. And I certainly would be, you know, certainly would have accomplished far more and went further if I had not made those mistakes or been properly able to take advantage of those opportunities. But, you know, um, uh, I'm very proud of what I did and the run that I had and, and the length of time that I spent, you know, there. That in itself, it's one thing for you to get there. It's yeah. another to be able to survive once you're there yeah. and uh, for any length of time. And that's that. And I don't need to tell you that in and of itself is a, is a major accomplishment. You know, yeah. you, you know, it is so ultra competitive, you know, and the very people that you have a camaraderie with, of course, are, you know, doing everything they can to compete with you. And if you get 30 seconds of television time, they're, you know, they're always trying to figure out some angle, some way to take that 30 seconds away from you next week so that they have it. And, you know, and you're constantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week playing chess and, and poker with the very people that you're, you know, working with and the people that you work for. So, mm -hmm. that, and as you go up the ladder, um, and the more you have now, the more you have to lose and the more you have to lose, the more you, the pressure and the stress and yeah. you're only as good as the last time you performed. You know, yeah. Doesn't matter how many years you performed or how great you will perform, but all it takes is for you to one time get up to bat, and, you know, have a, have a strikeout. And the next thing you know, you know, you, you don't get the opportunity at bat anymore. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know if anybody's ever done studies. You know, they do it with the NFL, and they say, you know, the life expectancy of an average player is, uh, you know, what four to five years or whatever. Uh, I'm sure it would be similar in a lot of ways if they really uh, broke it down. So you think of how long you've been doing this, uh, and then of course what you've you've done with uh, with TNA, and then you know Impact Wrestling, and you're you're still getting in the ring. I mean, do you still feel when you go in there, you're able to deliver uh, as as much as you were able to when you were a younger man or is it is it different now i mean what is what is that experience like for you um i think you know i can do just as well physically and and thankfully because of you know a lot of the That's training incredible. that i still do yeah. um um you know i don't i don't do a lot of the same things that i used to do and to be quite honest it's, it's because people don't pay to see that mm -hmm. you know they don't uh, you know i could still do a lot of the uh, more athletic stuff, but people don't pay to see me do the athletic stuff. They uh -huh. they pay to see me act crazy, run around with a plastic head, talk to it, and hit somebody <laughs> with it. That's quite honestly, that's it. You know? uh -huh. um, and I try to explain that to to a lot of people who, you know, uh, have the misnomer of believing that you know Hulk Hogan didn't know how to wrestle, and it's like you don't understand. He was uh -huh. he was broke into a business at a time when you know the guy that trained you was held personally responsible. For you, and you know, Hiro Matsuda, who was a noted, you know, hooker, a, a, a legit wrestler, he's not going to let anyone leave his school, you know, his training, without knowing how to really, really wrestle. Yeah, um, you know, Hulk Hogan knew how to wrestle, but people, the audience, didn't pay to see Hulk Hogan wrestle. Yeah. They paid to see Hulk Hogan be Hulk Hogan. And if Hulk Hogan had went out there and tried to be a wrestler as opposed to the attraction that he was, 
people wouldn't have paid to see it. And, you know, and I've learned over the years much that same lesson that, yeah. you know, once I developed that head character, people didn't, you know, I made more money sticking a plastic head over my, over my shoulders and shaking it around and talking to it than I ever did being able to stand on that ring apron, spring up, turn around in midair, land on the top rope with both feet and moonsault in. Yeah. You know? give, them, give them what they came to see. Exactly. And that, that's, that was a valuable lesson. And that's a lesson I try to pass on to, you know, all of the, the young people that I train these days is now is, is knowing, you know, being keenly aware that it's, it, the wrestling is a tool that is used to elicit um, moments and memories and emotional responses that then motivate them to want to pay to see you do it again. Yeah. Yeah, over and over. Play the hits. Uh, you know, the other side I want to talk before uh, we ring off here is that uh, this whole other side of your career of training people. And this started back uh, as far back as 95 when you had body slammers. And, and you mentioned uh, uh, training um, Dan Severn, who not only was an MMA, but also, you know, did uh, a, was a professional wrestler. Yeah. When did you uh, discover that this was a talent you had? You know, I was, uh, again, that was around that period of time when I was starting to get really frustrated and, and I thought that I was just going to take control of my own fate and, uh, uh, circumstance created a situation to where, um, I was thrust into the position of promoting a, a wrestling show for a charitable group where I lived. And, uh, I was going to, you know, for the draw, I was going to do like a two ring 20 man over the top rope battle royal and, um, I had a second ring and the guy backed out on me. And so I had to scramble and I ended up buying a ring. And since I had the ring, I thought, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I've, I've been working for eight, eight solid years, which really probably wasn't enough for me to really go out and start training people. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when I look back on it now and what I know <laughs> compared to what I knew then. You knew that, but, yeah. um, you know, I decided I was going to open up a school and I, I started training guys and, you know, quite a few of them went on to have, um, successful careers. Maybe not all of them had noteworthy uh, careers on national or international levels, but a lot of them went on to, you know, have very, very good careers. And, you know, Dan Severin and Blue Meanie and uh, Truth Martini, who worked for Ring of Honor and, um, and, a, and a couple other notable ones um, came out of that, that school. Um, and there were plenty more that really just, you know, they just didn't, they weren't in the right place at the right time to, uh, you know, to get one of those opportunities that they could have went on and they were talented enough. They could have went on and had, you know, um, significant careers as well. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. it's amazing what, where that took you because, mm -hmm. uh, I know people today, uh, when they talk about tough enough, they they talk, they remember you very well. I think that, that, you know, and that was seen by so many people. And I remember watching back then, I just loved the whole concept anyway. I loved that kind of take me behind the scenes and how does it happen? Yeah. But, uh, you know, you became a personality on that show that you were over and just doing what you do. Uh, yeah. Would that had to be, was that a great experience for you? Looking wow, back? It was a fantastic experience. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the best of all worlds. You know, I hear I had, you know, uh, I was still involved in the wrestling business, doing yeah. what I enjoyed to do. And, but yeah, I was kind of outside of the politics and the, uh, the pressure of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just, 
it was so much fun and it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, we'd work 12 to 13 hour days for, yeah. you know, the entire run of the show, but, uh, man, I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it and, and grateful again that I got that opportunity because, you know, like you said, I mean, I think more people know me from that than they do just from, from wrestling. Um, yeah. you know, it was, it was on MTV. It was, you know, replayed numerous times and, you know, uh, it was on a mainstream, uh, television network yeah. exposed to a mainstream television audience all over the world. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in and of itself, it's all, it's led to even, you know, more opportunities still to this day, all because of that notoriety and, and, um, familiarity from that, uh, from that, that show. And yeah. it was, it was great. I mean, we just, it having such a, you know, uh, developing relationships with both the kids uh, the production people were all fantastic. It was such a positive, positive thing. And it, it is probably one of the things I'd be most proud of in my career um, was being involved in it. You know, I, I think that regardless of what any naysayers would say against um, Tough Enough, I think that it was, quite honestly, it was a great format um, to help build and develop uh, new audience members and mm-hmm. a, a great uh, talent uh, scouting um, vehicle and a great way to develop and create an audience for new talent that was breaking into the business. Yeah, and uh, some of those guys ended up very successful. I mean, the uh, you know, two that really come to mind are the Miz and, uh, you know, John Morrison, I know. were And Ryback, well, too. Yeah, and, and you know, in uh, – you know, it's uh, I, I go back kind of the baseball analogy here, but you know, you you get to stay in the game. I mean, you you're still stepping into the ring, but uh, do you are you involved with NXT and and uh, you know helping them with the the training or or uh, you know that relationship still strong? Uh, no, I'm not involved with NXT, um, but I just recently purchased OVW, which used to be the um, former. Uh, you know, developmental program for WWE, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, OVW is still going well and going strong. And in fact, um, here in October uh, coming up, we'll have our one thousandth consecutive episode of television. Wow! <laughs> we'll actually, film that um, in October. So, you know, that's a rare and uh, historical event. Uh, you know whether it's wrestling or not, there just aren't that many, you know, television shows of any sort that uh, can claim that they've got had 1,000 consecutive episodes. um, So I'm really excited about that. I just took over June 1st, and uh, I'm restructuring the school, starting to rebuild it back up, starting to, you know, get the the, uh, live event schedule back um, to where I want it to be. When I was here with WWE, we, we uh, that last year prior to their consolidating all of the developmental systems into Florida, you know, we ran 186 events. 52 of those were TV, but 134 of those were live events in, in all around uh, Kentucky and Ohio. Um, you know, with an average attendance of about 400 people, um, you know, we did quite well. And, uh, you know, and it gave an opportunity for young talent to do what you talked about, where they go out and they get to work on a regular basis in front of an audience and get to develop a character uh, persona that works for them because they know know 
who it is, what it is, why it works, what its limitations are, you know, and, uh, and, and then they were able to polish that up so that they have an opportunity on a, you know, on the big stage of WWE, by the time they go up there, then they were prepared to be an actual attraction as opposed to being just another face in the crowd that was a really good wrestler. Yeah, and there's so many things you have to be able to do now. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, it's not you, you've seen pr- thousands probably of guys have a great look or perform well in the ring, but if they can't play, know where the cameras are and know how to, yeah. you know, do a promo, they ain't going too far. And uh, you know, it's awesome that uh, you know that you've got something like that for them. I know that's was kind of the very beginnings of the, the NXT is was the same thing. They had a school down there that did that. It was all, they had like a drama class and they had, you know, they, uh, they had that small ring and I don't know how many people they fit in there, but it was all for these guys. They had the cameras, the same set. So when they went up, they, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And, and yeah. with that in mind, uh, Al, are you optimistic, uh, seeing what's going on now with the, a lot of these independents you see, uh, you know, New Japan and uh, well, even MLW has uh, got these shows going now. And, of course, All In that's, you know, coming up in September. Uh, and, you know, the, these we've seen these groups that have been around for a while, but now it seems like they're really uh, starting to get a lot of attention and the uh, caliber of talent is really high. Uh, are you optimistic about what's happening on that side of it? And I have to imagine that's got to be good for everybody. Well, absolutely. I, you know, um um, professional wrestling has always kind of historically followed this, um, you know, route, and that is that, um, you know, um, there was a point in time back in the day that, you know, wrestling was, you know, and I'm talking like back in the 30s and 40s where it kind of went semi-national, you know, went was very big. Then it went back to, a, you know, territorial type of situation, then it went back national again when the advent of television, and then it went back to territorial, and then, you know, once again, it went national once more back in, you know, the mid-80s, um, and then it kind of started to go back regional, um, you know, in the uh, mid to, I'd say, the late 90s, you know, and that where, because, you know, people started looking for alternatives, started looking for something a little different, um, you know, uh, WWF at the time was getting a little overexposed and was, you know, um, giving out the same product and people wanted that alternative. And that was what gave, you know, ECW that, that, uh, that, uh, opening, opening of the door to kind of, you know, push their way through and shoehorn themselves in. And, you know, they were in the right place at the right time. Paul was because there was a, you know, plethora of talent that had, you know, much like myself, had 12, 13 years of experience, but no real national exposure, but had an underground audience of tape traders that kind of knew and had a reputation, wanted to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that all played together, and I think we're kind of starting to roll around into that situation again, you know, where um, WWE, as great as it is, I mean, you can't compare. It's just, it's man, it's awesome. Right. And they know that they, it's such a machine, but, you know, people long for and are interested in something different. You know, you could love peanut butter, um, but at some point in time, you get, you get tired of eating peanut butter or the same brand, and you just yeah. want a different kind of peanut butter or a different flavor of peanut butter. And, uh, you know, um, people are starting to look for alternatives, which is giving uh, 
both promoters and the wrestlers opportunities to uh, be able to, you know, gain an audience and hopefully if they utilize those opportunities correctly, build off of and create new platforms that will, you know, not only uh, survive, but will thrive, you know, on a lower level, they're not going to be, you know, you're not going to compete with WWE. Nobody is. But there's no reason, just like in any other market, uh, you've got Walmart and then you've got, a, you know, a couple steps down, you've got Target that's got their own, you know, share of the market. And then steps down, you got another different chain or outlet. And then a couple more steps down, you got a different one. And until you work your way all the way down to the mom and pops that, you know, they don't have as big a market share. Um, they certainly don't make as, you know, uh, as much of a profit, um, but they're able to survive and, you know, and, and, uh, and offer an alternative that maybe you might be able to go and find some merchandise there that you wouldn't be able to find at Walmart or, you know, some other major chain. And I think uh, professional wrestling can be the same thing. Yeah. And, and many of these, they, like you said, they're, they're offering something different. They, and so, uh, do you think, that impact that that will impact uh the wwe's product like you mentioned is there's there really isn't going to be anyone who's really going to challenge them anytime soon to where you know we've got uh you know monday night wars or something again but do you think it will have an impact to improve the product all the way around because oh, yeah. you can you know new japan is different than what you're seeing with uh you know these other uh op- outfits and that you know will it make it better I certainly think it's going to help it evolve. I think yeah. it's going to help it to, um, you know, grow. Um, you know, that's what started the whole Attitude Era was the influence of ECW and, and the audience it was garnering and mm-hmm. motivated and inspired, you know, yeah, WWE hardcore. to change, change their product. You yeah. Know? You know, so, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, very well. It's, it's more than likely that's what's going to happen. It's, you're going to see these smaller companies and, you know, uh, you know, and outside influences like new Japan, um, are going to start to garner a bit of an audience and, and, you know, WWE being what WWE is, they're going to take it and they're going to use it and make it better. And, and of course, you know, try to pull some of that audience and that market share back to them. Well, I, you know, Al, I think uh, it is definitely changing. I think it's it's really uh, fun to watch, and I have a feeling you're going to be a part of it. I'm really anxious to see what uh, you do with this this new adventure, and uh, still doing everything else you're doing, getting on planes with with Tommy Dreamer and and Mick. And I'd love yeah. to catch this, one of your shows. I, I hope you guys come to Arizona sometime soon. I would love you. to. It'd be, a, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I had such a good time. It was. You know, it was, uh, it was a, a brand new, uh, I told him, I said, at 55, I'm a virgin all over again. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've awesome. always, I never had the cherry, but I've always had the box that it came in. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait, uh, how could people, uh, get in touch with you, um, to find out about what you're up to? Um, they can follow yes, me on but... social media on all platforms at the real Al snow. Um, the reason that I, I'm the real Al snow is because yes, there were some imposters who I would message and kindly inform. I don't look, I don't mind you doing it, but if I were you, I'd like aim the bar higher. I mean, if I'm going to fake a celebrity, I'm going to be like George Clooney, yeah, right. you know, Brad Pitt, yeah. you know, I'm going to be somebody cool. I'm not going to be Al Snow, but Hey, I mean, I'm flattered. You want to, but I'm just saying next time, step it up. 
you know, oh. do yourself a favor. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been uh, I'm, it's been a while getting this together, but I'm I'm glad yeah. we we got to have this conversation. Me too. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and and thank you very much. And uh, I'd encourage everybody, you know, to check out uh, OVW Ohio Valley Wrestling. You know, we do a weekly television show. We put it up on YouTube, and you know, we got our thousandth episode coming up uh, um, here in October, October tenth, I believe. We're going to have a huge event, and uh, you know, check it out. Fantastic. All right, I'll take care, man. It's uh, great talking to you. Thank you very much, Sean.